0: Every human being needs reassurance from one time or another. When you think even about a little, small baby or a child, they need the reassurance, the touch of a mother or the lullaby sung before bedtime. A little child needs reassurance of those things. And as you think about children and the reassurances that they need when your son or your daughter finishes a a sports game and says, Did I do good, Daddy? They need reassurance. Or when a teenager is looking at the world in front of them and wondering why is everyone not walking the path that I'm trying to walk before God, you need reassurance. You need reassurance from God's word. You need reassurance from your parents that it's worth it to walk in purity. And when you think about marriage and the covenant of marriage that you made with your spouse if you're married here today... And the vows that you made and the promises that you made and you're a few years into marriage and you're wondering if your spouse is going to keep those promises to you, that is covenanted with you, that desires to keep promises with you by their actions and by their words, we need reassurance even in marriage. We need reassurance, many of us, about our jobs right now. When you go into work and you wonder during this pandemic and crisis economically, am I going to have a job tomorrow? And how is it that those things, those reassurances that we need all the way through life, how do those normally come to us? They come to us usually through words or through actions or I'm going to say through signs. See, the little kid needs a word from their parent or a touch from their parent. The wife needs her husband not just at Valentine's and not just when they messed up to go get some flowers, just to say, I love you. And a husband needs words of affirmation that his wife respects and honors him. See, reassurance comes through words. It also comes through signs like flowers. We pick it up here today in Genesis chapter 17. And Abraham is still in need of some reassurance from God, and the covenant promises that God has made him. If you'll remember with me, just for a minute, we come to chapter 12, and God calls Abram to himself, and he calls him to himself, and he assures him of some things, some promises that he will deliver. And yet, none of those, he doesn't get a lot of details, and then you come to chapter 15, which is about 10 or 11 years later. And God comes back to him and he takes him by the arm and he says, Do you see all those stars in the sky? That's how many descendants you're going to have. I know you don't have a child yet. I know your wife is, can't conceive. I know you're older, but this is going to happen. And in chapter 15, he even goes to the extent with this covenant to say, I'm going to make this happen. At the end of chapter 15, God swears by his own name that he will make it, make this promise happen, even if it requires death. Which is impossible with God. But God swears by his own name that he will bring this promise about. He's giving Abraham assurance. He's giving him reassurance. And then you get to chapter 16, which we won't go through today. And the Bible says that Sarah looked around and said, we still don't have a child. So here's what I want you to do, husband. I want you to take my maidservant and I want you to have a child with her. And the Bible says that Abraham obeyed the voice of his wife. And I know, man, what you're thinking, I shouldn't obey the voice of my wife. But before you go there, remember that there were many times where Sarah had to say, don't do this, Abraham. So don't do that. Abraham needs reassurance, and we get to chapter 17, and Abraham's 99 years old. That's what the text tells us. He's 99 and she, Sarah, is 89. This is 24 years after a promise that they would have a child already in their old age. And he's in a place where he, his faith, I think, is faltering. Because he's done in chapter 16, they took matters into their own hands. So how is God going to respond to Abram's Abraham's need of reassurance? Reassurance. Is he going to say, you know, maybe I should just choose somebody else? You can't trust me. You're weak. I've told you over and over and over again, I'm going to do this. Maybe if we were God, maybe that's the way we would respond. But I want you to notice today in chapter 17, as much as Abraham's faith is faltering, God still gives him reassurance. Aren't you glad God does the same thing with us. when Our faith is faltering. When we struggle with our faith, God is still there. And he's there over and over and over again. So what we're going to see in this passage is two reassurances that God gives Abraham, even in his faltering faith, and then you're going to see his response. And you're going to see a response that is Filled with highs and with lows, even after reassurance. And chapter, turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 17 of Genesis. The biggest thing I want you to notice about this chapter is that most of the chapter, God is speaking. And it doesn't look like God has come to Abraham in about 13 years. And so he's been waiting for God to come and speak, he's been waiting for this child primarily. But seven, chapter 17, Abraham only speaks a couple of times and it's not good. Moses gives, gives a little of accounting about what Abraham does, but God is speaking in this chapter. He's reassuring him, which is your first point. God reassures his people of his promises through his word. That was true then and this is true now in our life. I want you to notice In verses 1 through 8 and also verses 15 and 16. It's up here if you've got a Bible. Look along with me. I'm going to read it. And I want you to notice all the reassurances and the ways in which God reassures Abram of this promise through his very word. All right? Let's look at it. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, and then skip down to verses 15 and 16. I'll read it. Notice the reassurance that God gives Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, so he gives him his presence to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. God Almighty is El Shaddai. Have you ever heard this name for God or this description of God? It means that God is all-powerful. On a street level, if you wanted to flush it out, it means that there's nobody bigger on the block than God. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. So his presence and his power. I am God Almighty. Walk before me. Literally walk before my face. That's a great way to think about your life. That you're walking before the face of God. In all that you do. Whether it's Friday night on the computer at 9 o'clock. When nobody's around. Or it's with people. Or at your job. Or with your spouse. Or with your children. You're walking before the face of God. So walk before me. And be blameless. Blameless. Be holy, that I may make my covenant between me and you. He's already made it. He's reiterating the covenant. And may multiply you greatly. And Abraham fell on his face. This is Abram's humility. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Do you notice the new particulars? A multitude of nations. Before it was just, I'll make you a father of a nation. Now it's a multitude of a nation. No longer shall your name be called Abram, But your name shall be Abraham. He's changed his name. There is significance in this name change. Not only is he going to go from being the exalted father, which is probably a name that his father gave him to exalt the idols that he worships, now he's going to be a father of the multitude of nations that God is going to produce through the covenant promise. Huge change in his name and who he is. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Here's the promise. Remember, land-seeding blessing. He's reiterating it again and again and again. And I will make you into nations. Check this out. This is new information. We haven't seen this. And kings shall come out from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. And after you throughout the generations for an everlasting, that's new information. This is going to be an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you all of your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. Here it is again, an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Scroll down, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, and as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And she also, in verse 16, as a part of this, will be the mother of kings and peoples that come from her. The name Sarah means princess and she will produce kings. Do you see all the reassurances? Even when Abraham's faith is wavering and he's been disobedient, that God reassures Abraham and Sarah of his promises through what? Through his word. He speaks to them. He talks to them. He tells them about his presence and his promises and his power and his new, their new position and these new particulars to the promise. That would be incredibly encouraging to me if I'm Abraham and I've waited 24 years, especially for this son to be born or this offspring to happen. So what does this tell you about your God, C3? It tells you that even God can handle your doubts. He can handle the doubts that you have today, tomorrow, yesterday. And he gives more grace. What does this tell you about a man that the Bible says is in the hall of fame of faith? Even a man or or a woman who of great faith has faults. Isn't that encouraging to you and me today as we seek to live a life of faith? That there are going to be times in which we doubt. There are going to be times in which we falter, and yet God is still there. We are his people. Let me ask you this morning, where do you go to gain reassurance? Where are the places that you go to gain reassurance? See, God's word to you. You have God's word. One of the interesting things about the Old Testament... And people who lived in God's day, they had the spirit in which would come and God would speak to them. And then you see time frames. You see time frames where God is not there. You have the great benefit as a New Testament believer to have God's word right in front of you. To take a deep dive in when life is good or when life is hard. And be reminded. To be reminded of his promises to you. So I would encourage you, C3, to spend time to spend time with God in his word. There are rich promises here. This is one of the reasons why we're talking about a C3 Institute because we want to give you more opportunity. We want to give you more opportunity to deep dive into God's word, to understand who God is and what he has done and the great promises in which he has promised you. So then when life happens, which it does, then you have somewhere to go. You have somewhere to go other than social media the social media article that makes you more fearful, or even the radio that tells you of all the fears about COVID or politics or presidential races. You have the truth of God's word. This is our truth. This this is the truth of God's word that you have to reassure you of who God is and what he has done. So we have God's word. So God comes to Abraham and gives him his word and gives him all these reassurances, but he's gonna do something else. Look at verses 9 through 14 he's going to give him not only his word but signs a sign so that he would be reassured day by day he would be reassured of the promise just like you need reassurance from other people in your words and signs God's people need reassurance and so second point is this God reassures his people of his promises through covenant signs that's your second point Let's read verses 9 through 14 here. This is glorious. A lot to unpack here, but this is glorious. I'm going to give you some lunch conversation with your kids about circumcision. So there you go. And God said, that was meant, to, never mind. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. And so God's going to pull this covenant off, right? But there's still covenant responsibilities that God's people have to keep. Keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations this is my covenant which you shall keep second time he said it between me and you and your offspring after you for so for future generations every male among you shall be circumcised this is the sign you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you and then he gives a bunch of details about when this is supposed to happen and who it's supposed to happen to on the eighth day among you shall, be, you shall be circumcised, every male throughout the generations, whether born in your house or brought, bought with money, so servants who have come from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So anybody in the family, anybody in this family, so shall my covenant be with you in the flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off, note that word, from his people. He has broken, and he has broken my covenant. Moses calls this, God calls this a sign, circumcision a sign. You, you and I understand signs of covenants. We understand that if, if you are married, you likely, you should, men, have a wedding ring on your finger. What is this wedding ring symbolize what is it a sign of it's a sign that you have covenanted and made promise with your spouse and you wear it as an outward symbol of something that you've done before your spouse and before God it's a symbol that represents a spiritual reality a reality in which you and your spouse are married And so we understand signs a wedding ring we understand signs when we get in our car And we leave here, there's a stop sign. There's a symbol that tells us to do certain things and not do other things. Signs and symbols. Genesis 9, we've already seen one sign in the book of Genesis. Anybody remember what it is? Remember when Noah comes out of the ark and God has flooded all the earth? He comes out and he makes covenant with Noah and he promises him something. He promises him that he will never flood the whole earth again and he gives him a what? He gives them a sign. You can see it after it rains sometimes. It's a rainbow. It's a bow, and that bow is meant for you and for me as well, as well as the people then think about Noah. It starts to rain again. What's he thinking? Is it going to happen again? No. God's covenant promise and reassurance to Noah was the covenant sign of a rainbow. Catch that? And so here in the Abrahamic covenant, you're going to see a new sign. A new sign, and that new sign is circumcision. And circumcision is the removal of skin, foreskin, from a male child. And he tells them when to do it. You think about circumcision, what are the reasons for the sign, right? What are the reasons for the symbol? Because it's supposed to point to something. Remember where Abraham is right now. He doesn't have Isaac yet. Isaac hasn't come And he tells them to to be circumcised. Here's the big point of circumcision, especially for Abraham right here. Every time you look down, every time you see yourself, you're going to be reminded of the seed that will come from your loins. So it was a reminder of the promise that God had promised him. And guess what? After they have Isaac, for the rest of his life, he's going to be able to see something tangible, visible, outward, that God has done as a reminder of the promise Listen, all around Israel in that day, they circumcised. Most nations circumcised, apparently not the Philistines. Because you remember when David comes out and all the men of Israel are scared, scared of Goliath, the nine-foot-tall giant? And what's David's dig on Goliath? He's just an uncircumcised Philistine. He's nothing. But all these other nations, Egypt, Egypt did circumcision and they did it to male boys who were coming into manhood. So later, not fun. But it was a sign of manhood around the nation Egypt. And all these other nations would do it for ethnic reasons. Ethnic reasons to separate them from others. You see this in some countries today in um, the jungles of South Africa, that there are physical signs that represent ethnicity or people groups. But here's the thing. I know you think of the guy in the yarmulke, right, who does the circumcision at the hospital, and you're thinking when you leave, like, we're good, because the Jewish guy did it right? Another attempt. I'm going to wake up this morning. I thought that, but it's not ethnic. I know that's what we think about circumcision. We think Israel, think the guy in the yarmulke, but it's not ethnic. It's a reminder of this great promise that God has made to Abraham that he's going to keep And it's a reminder for all of Israel that God's going to keep this promise of these great nations that will come out of Sarah, the woman, the miracle child that comes out of Sarah. You catch that? So that's the first reason. There's a couple other reasons. So it's the promise. But also when you think about the symbol, sorry, this is probably more than you want to think about circumcision. All right? But we're going to go here. The, The second reason is this. There's a mark. It marks out. What does God say about his people? They're supposed to be holy and blameless. So it sets them apart as a nation. It's a mark to set them apart and last. When you think about circumcision, it says there's a physical cut in this. There's something that has to happen physically. Here's the thing. When doctors talk about circumcision today and there's the pros and the cons of uncircumcised or circumcised, they talk about cleanliness and there is a real sense that the nation is set apart. There's laws in the Old Testament about cleanliness, and so I think this is a part of it. But notice something in the New Testament. In the New Testament, when you think about the sin nature in the New Testament, what is the phrase that New Testament writers use? They use the flesh. And what are we supposed to do with the flesh? We're supposed to cut out the flesh sin nature, right? We're supposed to wage war against the flesh. So not only is this about the promise, not only is this about set apart people, but we're supposed to live cut off, set apart lives of purity and cleanliness as believers in Christ. We are supposed to be sanctified. And so that's the message of the symbol or the sign. You with me? So those are three things, at least three things. And maybe you're saying, okay, that's great. That's the nation Israel But um, I live in the New Covenant. What does that mean for me? And here's the thing. We've got Baptists. We're a kind of Reformed Baptist church here. We've got some Presbyterians in here. And so we may have some differences in how we think about this. But is there a sign of the New Covenant? Are there signs or are there things that correlate for us as New Covenant believers? People of the promise of Christ. And I don't think the New Testament comes that far and says these are the signs, specifically, but surely Paul says these things correlate, circumcision correlates to baptism. We also see the correlation in the New Testament sign of communion. The two ordinances that this church walks through. So you just took the cup. The cup, you can argue, is a sign. It's a symbol. Okay, that's, we don't believe that that is the body and blood of Christ. That's a different church. All right? We believe that it represents the shed blood of Christ. Remember what Jesus said about taking communion? He said, "This cup represents what? The new covenant in my blood. So take as a remembrance." So, see it symbol meaning. Same with the bread. Take remembering that my body was broken. This is what Jesus says about the Lord's Supper and about baptism. Think about what baptism is. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward condition. Remember Peter? He said, this doesn't save. It doesn't remove sin. The removal of dirt doesn't remove sin. It doesn't save, but it's an act of obedience. And here's the inward thing that happens. When you come to Christ, what happens? The Bible says, Peter says, that it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which means you've been washed clean By the Holy Spirit. And so the outward work of that is baptism. And so surely it correlates. If you want to say it's a sign of a covenant, you can do that. But both of those things point to one person. Both baptism and communion point to one person. Point to Christ and the work of the cross. And what Christ has done for you. What do we do when we baptize? Buried in the likeness of his death. Christ raised in the newness of life. In the likeness of his resurrection. It's an outward symbol of an inward condition and communion. And I think it's applied a little differently than uh, baptism is applied a little differently because the new community of faith in the New Testament are those who have called on Christ that believe. And so that's how the new community is formed. But they all point to Christ. The new covenant points to the cross as the sign. Got enough? Take some notes? All right. wanted to flush out that for you. So here's the question. Here's a couple of questions. If you know Christ, have you been baptized into Christ? Baptism is an outward expression of obedience to Christ. So if you haven't been baptized, November 15th, it's a great date. We're gonna do baptisms, November 15th, harvest dinner. We're gonna come together and thanksgiving for God or what he's done. It's an opportunity for you to express your faith in Christ, if you haven't done so, if you know Christ. When, you, when it comes to baptism, and when it comes to the Lord's table, I love at this church that we do come to the Lord's table every week. The two churches that I've been in did it once a month. Um, there's reasons for that, I think, that, they w- that we would give when I was there. But I love coming to the Lord's table every week. Because it's a great reassurance and it's a great reminder of the promises of what God has done through His Son on a cross. And so when you come to communion, one of the dangers of these signs and symbols is we get kind of make everything about those signs and symbols. People make everything about baptism and the Lord's Supper. Remember what the Old Testament prophets would say about circumcision? Hey, I know you've gone through the act, I know you're keeping the Sabbath but circumcise your heart. God wants your heart. And so we need to take seriously the signs. But the flip side is, is we can make things very legalistic, can't we? Well, I've done the signs. I've I've been baptized. I take communion every week. I read my Bible every day. See, God wants our hearts. And so there's both challenges when we come to these signs and symbols. So two reassurances that God gives Abraham. He gives him the reassurance of his word and all these reiterated promises even when his faith is failing. And he also gives them covenant signs. So what is Abraham going to do? How is he going to respond to these reassurances that God has given him in this passage? I want you to look at verses 17 through 21. You would expect that there would be some obedience um, But there's a valley before you get to the peak, and that's your third point. Living a life of faith in God's promises has peaks and valleys. That's true in your life. That's true in my life. That's true in Abraham's life. See, the first time, I I said this earlier, but the first time you see Abraham open his mouth in verse 17, after he hears how the promise of this child is going to come, that it's going to come through his wife who can't conceive, what does he do? This is a valley, right? Right? Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face. He's done that before, but he was worshiping. Now he's laughing. See, he believed the promise, but now he finds out how it's going to happen with his wife, who's older and can't conceive, and he laughs. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? So you see his doubting. After all these reassurances, y'all, do you see all these reassurances? He's doubting. He's like, you and me. There's laughter. I don't think this laughter is, ha-ha, this is awesome. God's going to do this when there's no miracle. There's a lot of commentators that look at it both ways. I think it's, I don't see this. I don't see this at all. How's this supposed to happen? There's laughter. What's God's response again? Does he slam him? He doesn't. He gives him more, gives him more information. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. This is what's going to happen. And guess what he does? He gives him more information. (laughs) And his name will be Isaac. What does Isaac mean? This is some humor here. Laughter. You laughed, I'm going to name him Isaac. And I know other people are going to laugh too because we're really old and we're having a child and how does that happen? And he names him Isaac. He tells him his name. He gives him more information. And he also says, a year from now, Isaac's going to be born and that's exactly what happens. So a couple of months later, he's conceived. So instead of God ripping him here, he's direct with him here, but instead of ripping him here, he just gives him more information. He gives him more (laughs) reassurance. Aren't you glad? When your faith is failing and faltering and you're saying, ha, whatever God, how are you going to pull that off? How are you going to Give me a new job. I just lost my job. I don't know where to look. My kids aren't obeying the way in which I want them to, and their life is going in a direction I don't want them to. My marriage is blown up. Is it laughter, or is it I'm hanging on? God's word gives us promises. So here's what you see. You see the laughter, but response is God still giving him more. You know, I, I kind of think when I read this, I think about that old, old movie, and this is dating me, Groundhog Day. Anybody seen it? Bill Murray? Wakes up, it's a new day, handles it different. That's what, when I read Abraham, I'm like, man, didn't you just hear? <laughs> didn't you just hear what God just told you? It's like he woke up the next morning, and it, it's like it wasn't there. All these reassurances weren't there. But that's you and me. I can think of times in my life, and I look back and go, man, God through his spirit, let me believe something that was risky and was hard. And he came through, and I put my trust and faith in him, and other times it just fell on my face. You trusting in the promises of God and what he's promised you. And then you see the second part of his weak faith. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, I've already had a child. Why Why can't Ishmael just be the promised one? Isn't that the way that we act too sometimes with God's promise? Hey, this is real convenient for me. And this would work out better. Let me help you, God, come up with the plan. Because my plan's a lot easier and it's a lot more comfortable. And God says, no. He's very direct here. He says, no. The child will be Isaac, not Ishmael. This is just a note for you to know, but this is exactly where Christianity and the Muslim faith diverge. Muslim faith believes that Ishmael is the son of the promise. Christians believe that Isaac is the son of the promise. And then you pick it up in Galatians chapter 3. The child of the flesh, Ishmael, child of the promise, Isaac. So we tend to do that as well. We think our plans are so grand. We hope in our plans, believing that they are also God's plans. And sometimes they're not. And we have to deal with that as well. So, there are valleys to a life of trusting God's promises. We understand that. But there are also peaks, usually after being reminded of God's word to us. And this is what you see here, too. So, there's the valley of how he responds and laughs and says, Why not Ishmael? But look further. After God gives him specifics, more specifics, look at verse 22 through 27. Then Abraham took Ishmael, verse 23. God had gone out, he took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house and brought with his, <clears throat> bought with the money every male among the men of Abraham's house and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins. What are the three words that come after that? That very day. This is painful obedience, literally, but he did it that very day. He obeyed. Keep reading. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99, Ishmael, verse 25, was 13, verse 26. That very day, there's obedience here. There's trust here. So there's both doubt and faith and trust in the promise. This is what we see in Abraham's life. This is what we see in our life. When we think about that very day, Parents or kids, you ever heard the phrase, slow obedience is no obedience? Have you ever heard that? That's a thing in our house. Slow obedience is no obedience. He obeys. He did what God called him to do in circumcising himself and those around him. This is, this is what you see that very day. Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says about assurance. He says, high degrees of assurance are, are simply not compatible With low levels of obedience. You see what you see here is God reassuring and reassuring and reassuring. And you see Abraham receiving that reassurance and then you see obedience. High levels of reassurance that you remind yourself of in God's word. Don't yield lack of obedience. They usually yield high obedience. And I think that's true. There's an example this week. I was talking to someone I know And um, they were talking about from God's word what they're learning. And it was a neat conversation. Because God reassures us by his word. And they're saying, you know, I'm going back through Genesis. And I got to the end of Genesis 1. And the end of Genesis 1, there's the image of God, the Imago Dei. And I've been trying to study and unpack what that means. Not only do I have an intrinsic worth and value because God gives that to me and that's who God makes me, but it also means that I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to other people who are made in the image of God as well in the way that I speak, James 3, in the way I interact. And so the application was this week rather than saying something on Facebook and responding to someone that I think is really dumb in the way they think about X, Y, and Z, I was reminded and convicted by God's word and the reassurance of God's word that 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 is a human made in the image of God. See, that's what it means to take this reassurance and apply it from God's word. To apply it in God's word. So we live a life of faith in God's promises and there are peaks and valleys to that. But there's one more thing in this text and we'll wrap up that I haven't really unpacked. I want, you to notice, I want you to notice in this passage in verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. And that's a repeated phrase that you see God giving Abraham when he gives him a new name and Sarah when he gives her a new name. This is a beautiful future promise. Who comes after Isaac we see Jacob and then we see David the king we see David the king of Israel and in 2nd Samuel chapter 7 we see that there will be a future king that sits on David's throne that is eternal that's everlasting pointing to the person of Messiah the person of Christ and then in Psalms 110 you see the same thing that Messiah will sit on the kingdom of David this king so here's the promise Remember Genesis three? There will be a seed from the woman who will crush the serpent's head. And you see that line, that scarlet thread. We've talked about this a little bit through the line of Seth, through the line of Noah, through the line of Shem, through the line of Abram, Abraham, Isaac, David, Messiah. That's right. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And so, if you want to see these promises fulfilled, ultimately they're fulfilled in Christ. So, here's your point. And I'll wrap up. C3: Christ. Christ is your full assurance, He is your reassurance. He is the substance behind all the signs and the symbols that God gives us, both in baptism and communion. And He is the Word. He is the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. And all of God's promises are yes in Him. So, your full assurance, if you're looking for assurance in your faith, if you're looking for reassurance in your faith, Jesus is the full assurance of your faith that's your takeaway Hebrews 10 which we read in the beginning says it this way Hebrews 10 I want to reiterate this truth and the application of this truth Hebrews 10 19 through 23 Therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Here's the, the, the response. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith because of Christ. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, here it is. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you need reassurance... Whatever it is, in your faith, Jesus is the answer to that full assurance that you need. He's the word, he's the substance, he is our hope in life and death. Let me pray and then we're going to sing about the hope in Christ that we have in life and in death. Lord, we thank you for this passage, we thank you uh, for the example of a man of faith who both demonstrated faith and also demonstrated weakness and fault. And thank you for the encouragement that is that you, as we read this passage, we are so encouraged. We're so encouraged that you hang with us. That even when our faith is failing, even when we fall into sin, you are there. That you care for your people and you help your people up and you help your people see the beauty of the promise. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a day that we can see and look back upon Christ whose body was broken and his blood was shed for us, who has changed us from the inside out. And we have signs and symbols that point us to that, But Christ is the substance, that he is the guarantee of the new covenant in his blood. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the full assurance of faith we have because of him. Lord, I pray for us that our hope as we're about to sing really in life and in death is in Christ, the risen Lord, in Jesus' name.